Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3 p.m. to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Well, again, welcome to the summer season at Redeemer, getting to hear from our staff team, getting to meet them and connect with them. New initiatives kicking off um, after school club out in the park, looking to connect with our community and our neighborhood in different ways. Headed to Revive in just a few weeks. Any Revivers in the house? Not sure what that means yet, but we're signed up. We're looking forward to it. You're going to hear from James on that in just a little while. We think about the different uh, seasons that we'll go through as a church family. We have the, the whole Christmas season where we're looking forward to the birth of Jesus, the carol service we host right here in this room. Coming out of that, we have the Epiphany season. Consider the way and the life of Jesus. We have the Easter season. Uh, we took a couple of weeks, studied the person of the Holy Spirit, thinking about the Pentecost season. May I submit to you this season that we're getting into right now, this could be our fellowship season. And when we're back from holidays, we look at September as our discipleship season. We get in that in an intense way, kicking off some new ministries even there, carrying on the way of Jesus. Really excited for what uh, we're going to have in the book of Ephesians over the course of this summer together. As we get around one another, we think about what does it look like for us to be the household of God? That's a phrase that Paul uses in the book of Ephesians. It's also something that's helpful for us to consider up front. His brother Andrew just read this beautiful chapter of Scripture to us, and we can sit under the weight of the Word and allow it to have an effect on us as we hear it read. Uh, Paul's going to use this phrase to talk like, hey, you guys, like you lot, you're the household of God. So live like it out there in that space. Um, it's helpful because when we think about Ephesians, you might be tempted to think, oh, well, this is this beautifully written letter, like this piece of doctrine certainly is. We need to get into it. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to submit our lives to it. When we think about what Ephesians is, we need to receive it for what it is. It is a missionary letter. It's something that was written to a group of people that had recently and radically come to faith in the Lord Jesus, and they were trying to figure out what that looked like. So to help us figure out what that looks like, where we are and how we're doing this afternoon, let me ask this one question to help gather up our hearts and our minds. You don't have to answer it out loud. Just think about it right where you are. Do you have the form of Christianity, the spirit of Christianity, or both? Just take a minute with that. I think it's the question the Lord can search us in as we study the book of Ephesians over the next couple of months together. It's a heart check question for each and every one of us. Kind of hear the question, you can't help but know where you are in that. Maybe where some work could be given. Let's think in this question this afternoon, because the people that the book of Ephesians aims to create, they are people who have both the form and the function. They're people who have both the spirit of Christianity and the form of Christianity. Let's know where we are up front. Let me introduce you to Ephesus just a little more. I'm going to highlight a few of the things that Andrew uh, read to us so well. Um, Ephesus, it was located... Uh, in modern-day Turkey, there was a primary port, uh, not the drink, but the place you parked the boat uh, in town. That's what I mean. A lot of trade was coming through. 
It was cosmopolitan. It was multi-ethnic. As we study the book of Ephesians, you'll be able to resonate more and more and more over the next couple of months. And that, yeah, that, that sounds kind of like London. That sounds like some stuff we're dealing with. I'm glad we're in this book. Had a large temple in the middle of town dedicated to the goddess of Artemis. You're going to get to see some pictures of Artemis later on. That should be fun for us. It was four times bigger than the Parthenon in Rome. It's this massive structure right in the middle of town. One of the ancient seven wonders of the world. So you watch one of those documentaries or docu-series taking you around. One would have had Ephesus in it in this particular building. It was big time. The statue of Artemis in the centerpiece of the temple is carved out of a meteorite that fell from the sky. I mean, wild stuff happening over here in Ephesus. Uh, they actually worshipped Artemis. So Artemis was who everybody in town was about. Uh, not the living Lord Jesus, but Artemis, as they thought Artemis was the protector of the city. This one who would guarantee our prosperity. So what Andrew just read to us is how there was this idol market set up in this old city called Ephesus. And this one guy named Paul comes into town, starts preaching the gospel, and people stopped worshiping idols, and they started worshiping Jesus, and the whole place looked different. Now, that's something we can imagine in London. What is it like for the gospel to enter a city full of idols? Think about the idols of this place. They are many, and they are, they, they are, they are intense. Idols, anything that you would want to set up in your home or in your own heart that you're going to give your attention to instead of God. It could be a particular vision of success. It could be uh, having a certain brand of clothes, certain car, anything that you look to to give you meaning, status, and identity and tell your soul everything is okay at night. Idols. Ephesus got its start as a place that worshipped other gods, specifically Artemis. And we're going to hear more about this in the background over the next couple months. But maybe we could just consider this. By the way, somebody glanced at this and they said, the gospel comes to a city full of idiots. And I was like, that could work as well. So alternate title, if you're into that, you can kind of keep that in mind as we go. You might resonate with that a little. I'm kidding. Um, but here we are. The gospel enters a city full of idols. What is that like? What would that look like around here? Let me extract a few big truths from Acts chapter 19 for us. I think, I think we can hear this speaking to us this afternoon, potentially even giving us a lot of hope and encouragement for what the gospel could do in London. First thing you notice is this, God works through his word. You see it in the verse 20 verses, just extracting this truth out of these first 20 verses for you. The awakening that happened in Ephesus uh, was not because people went to town with some cool tracks. It wasn't because people went to town and they opened up exploratory talks. It wasn't because people went to town and opened up carol services and egg hunts. Ephesus was awakened with the gospel because a word ministry was started and maintained in Ephesus. The other stuff helps. The other stuff's necessary. We're going to need everything working together to see a movement of God. But the ministry in Ephesus was a word ministry. Paul was focused on explaining the Bible to people. You see this in chapter 20, verse 20 and 21. You see this in chapter, uh, sorry, you see this in 19, verses 20 and 21, 27, 31, and 32. 
the author. His name is Luke. He even brackets this section of Scripture, specifically verses 10 to 20, with the phrase, the Word of the Lord. It's a framing device used in this section of Scripture to highlight the emphasis on what is going on. So an, an idol factory, an idol industry, was brought to ruin through a word ministry. The message challenged the idol markets. The book of Acts teaches that the early church, it impacted the nations through the word of God. It was a word ministry. Immediately for us, I think that's really helpful, like some immediate action for the room this afternoon. We're involved in different industries. We're involved in different sectors. We have different relationships all across this town. Maybe we're not working for Demetrius, who's actually crafting idols of Artemis. Maybe some of us are close by proximity. And we could feel like ministry in London is a hopeless endeavor. Paul would say to the people over in Corinth, you look in on this school hall this afternoon, there are people that would look in on this and they would say, this is foolish. All of you coming around? Reading this old book? Thinking about some God? That's foolish. You think about what Paul did. He is one person going into a massive, powerful city. It wasn't like he went to somewhere out in the sticks, you know? He, he went into the heart of a massive city. He went to it committed to teaching in the synagogue and the lecture hall. He committed to working solid for two years. And you read all of Acts 19 and 20 in one sitting. And what looks like an overwhelming task looks able. It looks possible when you see what a group of people gathered around the Word of God can be a part of. Jesus changed lives. Jesus changed the very economy. It was not preaching boring sermons. It was, yes, having moments like this where God's Word was explained in a group setting, but you have the idea of getting together during the week and explaining it a little more and finding ways to get around coffee and drinks and explaining it a little more and finding ways to weave it into your conversations. But it was a Word ministry that happened. Friends, like church family, like we're, we're a family, we're a household of God. May this section of scripture give us confidence in the power of the word of God to do all that God says he can do. Psalm chapter 19, verse 7, hearing the word really does renew one's life. The idol market was brought to an end through a word ministry. Let's be ruthlessly committed to a word ministry as a local church. Let's try to start all kinds of other ministries. Let's supplement this. Let's look for God to work around us in a bunch of ways. Let's not lose sight of a word ministry. Second thing you see is in verses 11 and 12, God displays his power. Notice he displayed his power through and alongside of a word ministry. So specifically in verses 13 to 16, there was a demon around in Ephesus, been afflicting people. No one could stop him. Um, someone out of this Jewish Ghostbusters gang named Skiva and company. They tried to cast him out by invoking the name of Jesus. That didn't work. It was a bit awkward. Then the ultimate spiritual low point of this whole thing right here, someone who's trying to be religious, using the name of Jesus without knowing Jesus, the demon looks at these exorcists and says in verse 15, look at verse 15, Jesus, I know, Paul, I've heard about, who are you? Gives you an idea of how, what, like, whatever, whatever is there with uh, the devil, demons, darkness, something about how they work. Oh, they knew Jesus. 
They, they, they could pick him out of a lineup. They, they knew Jesus. Word about Paul was even getting around. But somebody who didn't know the Lord at all was trying to whip out the name. Now, what happens next is a true whipping of sorts. The, demon, the demons whipped them, fled town, and there you have it. You know who loses a fight in the Bible. You literally leave town without your underwear. There it is. Lost town without his pants. There it is right there. He's, just, he's gone. The author tells us something that can help us understand the message as well. God uses the word ministry, and God had different signs and wonders around authenticating the word ministry as well. Surely, a powerful, powerful miracle that would have authenticated the word ministry would have been people that used to buy and worship idols, not buying and worshiping idols. It would have been tens, if not hundreds, some project thousands of temple cult prostitutes that used to engage in that business for work, they gave it up, they found another line of work, and they were carrying on in a new way. It wasn't just the word. God displays his power. He was working through Paul in powerful and different ways. The third thing to see is in verses 13 to 17, the results of this is that people worshipped Jesus. People just didn't become convinced, oh, given a couple of hours of my weekend to be in a part of this, that sounds reasonable. No, no, the affections of their heart was changed. They used to worship little statues in their home. Now they had a different object of worship. <laughs> so as we're trying to share Jesus with people, we bear in mind how it works right here. We're not just trying to get people to come to a thing, thinking a thing is going to do everything in their hearts. We're pulling alongside of people this summer and in the years ahead, paying attention. What is it this person's life is focused on? What is it this person's life is leaned on? Glory is a word that means weight. Each and every one of us, we are all giving the glory or the weight or the worth of our lives to someone or something. And all over old Ephesus, people were giving the weight and the worth of their lives to little carved statues. And it sounds ridiculous, but you scroll over here, it's not that different. People are giving their lives. They are literally killing themselves, trying to have certain names, certain labels, certain brands, be in the right crowd, have the certain postcode, have a car, be able to travel around, be able to go on trips. People are giving their lives. They're sacrificing their lives for some other God they worship. So my friends, what we're doing this summer, we're just thinking, like, what are, what are we worshiping? What am I worshiping? What are you worshiping? Is it, is it we given the weight and worth of our lives to anything other than the Lord Jesus? Because what happened in Ephesus, people worshiped Jesus. People didn't just get this injection. Here's an idea. Spend a few hours around Christians on the weekends. And people say, okay, that sounds cool. Let's do that. No. The affections of their heart were shifted and all the other things, all the, scat, all the calendar, the diary updates, they followed that. Remember what we're going for. The encounter right here, it shows us that only Jesus' people have the Spirit of God. And the presence of God over demons, they can recognize who's with Jesus, who's not. Their failed attempt at exorcism led to the worship of God, Jews and Greeks alike, revering the name of Jesus. So my friend, as you look at these verses of Scripture right here, notice people magnified Jesus because Jesus changed everything for them. It's the heart of revival. 
It's at the heart of God working in fresh ways around the world. God moves in power. People respond by treasuring Jesus more than what they treasured before. Through failed healings, through failed exorcisms, God's present in even that, and he's working. So it's a word ministry. It's a word ministry that God was showing up amongst in powerful ways. The result of this is that people worship Jesus. And then what we see is what we studied over the last six weeks as a faith family. The Holy Spirit is at work in the midst of this. In verses 7 and 18, the Spirit is giving new affections to people. When a person's genuinely converted to faith in Jesus, they have new affections. So their old loves, their old desires, their old interests become replaced with new ones. They have new loves. They have new desires. They have new affections in their hearts. They become new creations in Christ. They experience a new love for Jesus, a new love for the church, and a new love for the mission. So there's no sense looking at each other, guilt-tripping one another. Oh, you should. The Spirit is giving affections to people. And friends, if we could even almost understand like our mission or our way with the people around us within this, it's for their joy, just like it's been for ours. Psalm 16.4 says, The sorrow of those who run after other gods will multiply. They'll only multiply. Spend your life worshiping someone or something other than the Lord Jesus. Your sorrow will only multiply. And for some of us, this, this might feel, in this moment, it might feel a little foreign. Why would I try to convince people of this? Well, my friend, maybe you could just consider we, we can't really commend what we don't possess. We can't really go to other people and with joy and excitement, tell them about the joy and the excitement that we found and we've received. Maybe there's a, a coming home to things that is in order first. We do consider, do we have the form of Christianity or the spirit of Christianity or both? 2 Corinthians, Paul would tell a group of people in chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if anyone's in, new, in, in Christ, he's a new creation. That old one's gone, the new one has come. And what I want to show you over the course of the summer, what your elders are going to work together to labor in the text of Scripture to prove to you again and again and again, the people that we study about in Scripture, these Ephesians, they loved many things. They had many outlets. They had many different forms of entertainment. And yet, by the grace of God, Jesus became more beautiful, more time-consuming, more important than all those other things, and their lives were changed around it. But the people that were engaging the study, you, you heard about this in chapter 19 from what was read. They were into sport. They were into theater. They, they loved idols. They loved Artemis. There was wealth all over the place. And when Paul preached the gospel and the Holy Spirit opened their eyes, the, experienced, the city experienced a change of affections. <laughs> People worship Jesus. What happened as a result of this is verses 18 and 19. Believers began to confess and renounce their own secret sins. Maybe this is the most surprising bit in the whole chapter of Scripture for some of us. There were some who were there, they were so moved by the work of God that they confessed their secret sins. Believers came out, came out of their idol worship and they started to destroy things that they've been worshiping in the place of God. And this only happens when God becomes more beautiful than whatever you were into before. So the idea is a group of people that used to worship these little statues, they're bringing the statues out and they're like, not only am I like getting rid of them, I'm getting rid of them in a very public way. I'm like publicly declaring, I was about that life, I'm not, I'm over here now. 
But again, it's only going to come from these new affections, believers confessing and disclosing secret sins. Maybe, if you want, people who had the form of Christianity were reinvigorated with the spirit of Christianity and things began to rapidly unfold for them. It shouldn't shock us that believers were getting together and burning the books. Salvation begins a process of growth, the process of sanctification. Eventually, the practices that we were attached to, that we used to follow Jesus in, and we're just not anymore, it just makes sense. This stuff's of no value anymore. Even though it was like my God, it was what I lived my life for, it's whatever, you can have it. This is part of Paul's testimony. Uh, for those of you in community group, you read in a community group guide this last week in Acts chapter 9 how Paul was converted. And then you can read just a few letters from here. He's addressing some people in another part of the Bible. And he says, look, all that stuff I was known for, it's just rubbish to me now. It's just filthy rags. It's, you can have it. I found something better. So look, as we labor in the text and as we study this and as we're in community groups and we have these times to look at it in here, there's no yelling at each other. That's not Christianity. There's no do better, try harder. It's insane. That's religion. That's not Christianity. The heart of Christianity is here's this beautiful God. He knows you. He loves you. He made you. You have turned your back on him. He has sent his son Jesus to a cross who has paid the debt of your sin. Believe on him. Have joy. Join what he's doing in the world. And what's going on in Ephesus is a group of people that used to worship other stuff, and they were just trying to figure out how do we follow Jesus. And Paul's like, this will help. Ephesians. There's a painting in the, in the Louvre. I wish I put it up here. Um, by a guy's name, I'm guaranteed to botch, so I'll just hold it. Uh, 1649, it's called The Sermon of St. Paul at Ephesus. And in this painting in the Louvre, it shows Paul addressing the crowd while people burned their books beneath him. Those who practiced sorcery confessed their evil practices, and they burned the occult books publicly. It's a beautiful portrait of the gospel going out and these other false gods that people used to lean their lives on, just people saying, I'm done. You estimate the value of this with what's going on here. Um, look, I mean, there's always a spectrum here. Like somebody's going to say, it's only 150 quid, but there's another way to understand what's going on right here. If this is actually silver, like the Greek word seems to lean, if you kind of update this to inflation, it brings it up to about three, three million pounds of false gods are being burned out here. But again, they had new affections. Like Jesus had become, it, it become clear. They, they realized the treasure that Jesus was. So they, they, they very easily, very aptly, like, are you kidding me? This, this is just rubbish now. You can have it. I found something more important. Believers confessed and renounced secret sins. They were so moved by the work of God. They just started talking about the kinds of things they used to be into. Not like years ago, but perhaps months ago or even weeks ago and saying, you know what? I couldn't see Jesus clearly, but now I can. That other stuff, they can have it. This happens when God becomes beautiful. I'm almost done with this sermon. Isn't that remarkable? Look, here's the result. The world was changed. It quite literally was. Verses 21 to 41, they prove that up. The world was changed. After summarizing the power of Jesus, after spotlighting the importance of word ministry, 
and how the word has a way of triumphing over deep-rooted parts of an economy. Luke tells us there is a protest. That's what you see in verses 21 to 41. Social norms are going to be changed because of the gospel going out. You're going to get to hear about what Paul's going to want to do next, but verses 21 to 41, it is amazing. It's saying the major economy in town, it could not handle the preaching of the gospel and it tanked. The gospel impacting social norms, the gospel impacting an economy. It's a picture of the Spirit of God leading the man of God through. And there's a specific concern for the poor that keeps showing up here. We're going to have to face it. We're going to have to talk about it this summer. We're going to get there. Verses 23 to 41, the last recorded event of Paul's stay in Ephesus. It's a clear picture of what happens when people choose Jesus over idols. The local economy was impacted and the city goes into an uproar. So this one guy named Demetrius, he emerges as the leader of the silversmiths. So he's kind of the top guy amongst all the guys running the idol markets. And he was in charge of the idol market of Artemis, where people would purchase these little statues, worship the statues instead of the one true living God. And you can still find these throughout the Mediterranean world today. And you see that idols are painful to remove. You see that other people that didn't understand the beauty of the Lord Jesus, they had a hard time with this. What are you doing? You're making a mess of things. There's some of you that have chosen to follow the Lord Jesus. And because you have, you have had other people who love you and call themselves family look at you and say, what are you doing with your life? You're making a mess of things. This doesn't make sense to us. You see it right here. God was removing the idolatry from the lives of people. There was a violent response to this. Idols don't come out easy. You try to take a good thing from someone, they're sad for a little while. You try to take an idol from someone, they go flipping crazy. Lose a good, you're sad. Lose a great thing, and you're devastated. And when the idols were being pulled away from these people, chaos ensued and not peace. So Demetrius is freaking out. He gets 25,000 people together in the amphitheater, and they begin crying out, Great is the God Artemis of the Ephesians. This chant goes on for two hours. Right? FA Cup final is over there in Wembley right now. God bless you for being here instead of being there. Right? And can you imagine people filling up Wembley Stadium and being able to walk around the circumference of the thing and for two hours listening to the words, Great is Artemis, God of the Ephesians. For two hours, this rolled. Acts 19 is a picture of how the gospel conquers idols. And when the gospel is conquering, it's not always peaceful. There's chaos. There's conflict. And you just think about it in your own life. If God's never made you angry, if God's never calls to stir for you, you might wonder, are you worshiping God or something else? Because whenever idols come out, there's often chaos. Some discomfort is a way to say it. But it's what happens. The social norms were impacted and changed. Paul decided to give two years in Ephesus to disciple new believers, develop some new leaders. All the while, he still wanted to go on to Rome. He still wanted to get on to the ends of the earth. He had a great mission 
that was giving him drive and focus in his life, the word of God increased and prevailed. God had been so working in power through Paul and doing healings. So there it is. That's how the gospel impacts a city full of idiots, or I mean, idols. God works through his word. Massive displays of power. People worship Jesus. Spirit gives new affections. Believers confess and renounce secret sins. The result, the world was changed. And here's where this lands for us. Over the years, the Apostle Paul maintained close contact with the leadership of the church in Ephesus. His, his, his correspondence with the leaders of this church, one chapter over in, in Acts chapter 20, some of the most moving and emotional passages in the entire Bible. The Apostle Paul would keep up. He'd write letters to churches. He'd encourage them. He'd hear what's going on. He'd write encouragements and corrections, trying to help sort out the life in other churches. The Apostle Paul appointed his protege, Timothy, to pastor this church in Ephesus. Later, the Apostle John took up the pastorate from Timothy. I mean, you're thinking this preaching team was deep. You know, like, I mean, we're decent around here, but I mean, we're not rolling Timothy to John, right? This is amazing what this church had going for it. Church was run by incredible men and incredible women. Think about this, my friends. You have more information about the church in Ephesus that we're going to study over the, course in, over the course of this summer. You have more information about the church in Ephesus than any other church in the Bible. You know more about Ephesus than you do about Corinth, Galatia, Philippi, Colossae, the rest. More data on Ephesus than anyone else. Seven of the New Testament letters were either written to or about the church in Ephesus. Ephesians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, 1, 2, 3 John, Revelation, all have bits about the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was, their preaching team was legendarily deep. Paul, Apollos, Timothy, John. I mean, you'd be podcasting the sermons coming out of this church. And in the end, you wonder just, so how'd that go? Founded in a powerful way, incredible skill, incredible resource all around. The punchline on Ephesus is that the church in Ephesus didn't make it. Ben, you can come on up because we're almost done. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. The Lord Jesus says this of the church in Ephesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. I know that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but aren't. I know that you found them to be false. You've persevered. You've endured hardships for my name. You've not grown weary. And here's what the Lord Jesus has to say about this church that we're going to enter in and study. Yet I hold this one thing against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. We're not careful. We will begin as a church that's passionate about Jesus, growing in affections for Jesus, holding tight to a word ministry, depending on God for power. Might see things start changing around us. Community groups growing, lives changing. The gospel seeping out into our broader family circles. It's possible to be about all the right things and to lose your first love. The way I think about it, it's, uh, imagine this. I I love my wife dearly and uh, we've been married 13 years, I think, uh, this summer. And um, I think about what Paul says here. I mean, what the Lord Jesus says here. You have forsaken the love you had at first. 
I think about what that would look like in my marriage. That would mean I, I reach across and I hold her hand differently after a decade than I did on those first few dates. It means my, my mind kind of wonders to her differently now than it did in those early days. The Lord Jesus is invoking something of that emotional and that language for us to help us think about how it's going for us right now. My friend, let me just ask you as we begin this study in the book of Ephesians, have you lost your first love? Has your first love grown cold? And let's just commit. Let's not play defense. Let's play offense in this thing. But as we play offense in this thing, let's play smart, knowing that if we're not careful, we could go through this in such a way where we could get to the end of our race and we could hold tight to a word ministry. We could depend on the spirit of God for power and affections. We could see things change around us in our lives. And the Lord Jesus could say, I see it. It's great. Here's the problem. You forgot about me. A friend, as we start this summer season, have you forgotten about him? Back to our question, we conclude here. Do you have the form of Christianity? Do you have the spirit of Christianity? Or do you have both? Book of Ephesians is going to help clue it up for us. It's going to show us a lot about what the form of Christianity looks like. And half of us in here, maybe, we're going to be reading that. We're going to be thinking, man, I, I am full of the spirit of, and the, move, the movement of Christianity. I need more of this structure in my life. But maybe how this book's going to hit the other half of us we're going to roll through this thing thinking, man, no, this, this looks like Christianity, smells like Christianity, walks like Christianity, talks like Christianity, tweets like Christianity, weekends like Christianity. But it's actually lost the spirit of Christianity. It's actually lost the love of Christianity and makes it what it is, right? So let me invite you into a time of response here. In the next few minutes, uh, prayer and ministry team, they're going to be over here. We're just here to pray. We're just here to receive people and to pray. Whatever you have in your heart, we're going to be right over here to meet with you and pray. As we're all responding to the word of God, as the word of God is doing its work in this room right now, really answer this question. Do you have the form of Christianity, but not the spirit of Christianity? What is the shape of your life? Do you see how the gospel came through this city full of idols? What does that mean for you? As you anticipate getting into this important letter in Ephesians, how's that going to go? Are you a person that has the form of Christianity to you, but you've actually lost the spirit? The spirit of the movement. It's like the house looks great. There's just nobody inside. Or you have the spirit of Christianity, but you could do with the form of it. Now oh, you love the Lord Jesus. You're about that life, but... Man, some forms, some ways, some shapes, some discipline could be, could be well-received. Or maybe it's that you have both the form and the spirit of Christianity. What is God calling you to do? What has he given you that for? What is he raising you up for? What is he calling you to do, to lead, to serve? Who is he calling you to bless? My friends, the Lord Jesus, he stands here and he says these words as an invitation to us. You have forsaken the love that you first had. It's a clear invitation to us who hear these words while we're still here to hear him and say, you're right, I'm sorry, coming back. An opportunity to meet with the Lord Jesus, to pray to the Father, to lean the weight and the worth of our lives away from whatever it was before and holy unto him. Go ahead and stand. 
I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for us as a church family as we enter into this together. We'll have some time to respond. Our Father in heaven, we enter into this summer season together where we want to figure out what it means to be your people. We want to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus and not be about that stuff that we used to be about. But God, we really need your help. So Father, we pray, would your Holy Spirit give us new affections, give us new cares and concerns in our hearts. We do pray that you would shape this local church into being a beautiful local church that honors you and gives you glory. But God, that has to start with us in our own hearts and in our own lives. So God, help us to see clearly from the mirror that is your scripture where we are and how we're doing. God, help us to meet with you. We pray that you would minister to us as we have some time to stand, to sing, to sit, to kneel, to pray, to worship. Meet with us, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some time to respond.